The 2021 college football season is finally here. It's been an incredible preseason for CFB Winning Edge. We've broken records for downloads and listens of the CFB Winning Edge podcast and are recently surpassed a milestone of 100 Patreon supporters. Our Patreon supporters help keep this show ad-free and also help fund all the off-season improvements and updates, including our 2021 FBS team profiles, statistical projections, CFF rankings, and more. We could not do it without you. Thank you and have a great season. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen, at CFB Winning Edge on the Twitter. Xavier will be with us again in spirit today. We'll, uh, you know, uh, pop his comments in on these games, but uh, he could not make the show again this week. Hoping to get him back next week. But, Nick, how you doing, man? Well, pretty good. Trying to get caught up on... Everything. It's uh, the, you know, when the season starts, there's always a little bit of a, an adjustment period <laughs> and kind of forget how long uh, different things take as far as, uh, you know, getting all the information together, putting it down, uh, making sure everything's lined up. And then during the off season, it's always sounds like a great idea. Oh, I can add this thing to my weekly to do. <laughs> I could do. I could do this as well, can fit that in. And uh, so just sort of getting back in the swing of things. And this week, tried my very best to get as uh, far ahead as possible. Uh, and uh, so far, it's it's paying off. So I'm I'm finally, you know, all the projections are posted, all the uh, you know matchup graphics that we do each week for our patrons that show, uh, you know, this position versus this position and every game, all those are done. Uh, so that's that's a good place to be. There's still some. Uh, I don't know if people out there probably know this. Uh, there's there's some uh, data shortages or, or issues. Some play by play data has not been uh, fully available this year, hmm. like it was in the past. Some games are missing completely. Some uh, data is incorrect. Uh, like as far as you know, yardage and results and, and things like that. So uh, we've we've done the best we can to uh, make sure you know because we we list the the five important stats uh, on the the FBS team profiles: yards per play, uh, yards per pass attempt, success rate, uh, EPA, and net points per drive or points per drive, and all those are offense, defense, and and uh, net. And some of the, the sources we use to get that information has not been available at all this year. So we've, we've done the best we can, uh, but there are some things missing. So, you know, other people, it sounds like, are, are having to adjust to the, uh, <laughs> the new season as well. But uh, we're, we're uh, at least on schedule for this week and, and looking forward to, uh, you know, another, another good week of, of games. Somebody needs to get get on their job, huh, Nick? Is that that's what you're saying? <laughs> well, on. I mean, there's there's sort of a, a little conversation going on in the uh, sort of the, the analytics world as to whether or not this is something that either we're going to have to deal with 
all year or maybe from here on out. I know there was a lot of work done and, and uh, you know, we use collegefootballdata.com is, is a lot of people's source. I know they've had some trouble. Um, I really like the work that Brian Fromeau does at uh, bcftoys.com, uh, but he hasn't had, you know, points per drive, available yards, things like that all year. And I'm sure it's just waiting on getting correct data because, there's, right. you know, should you, should you work with uh, data that is flawed? Or should you just, you know, kind of ignore it, knowing it, knowing it's imperfect. So uh, we've decided to, to, you know, use what we can get and just sort of know and understand um, that it might not be 100% perfect, but hopefully it's, you know, something is is better than nothing. But, you know, uh, CFBGraphs.com, Parker Fleming has has, uh, done a lot of great work in the past. I know he's frustrated with some of the data that's that's not yet available. Uh, CFB stats seems to be uh, complete as far as I can tell, but it's just raw information. And, And so we like when we can to get things adjusted for, garbage time and, and, you know, opponent adjustments and things like that. Um, so, you know, that, that just seems to be, uh, the, the bit that's most imperfect at the moment, but so that's, that's something to, uh, to navigate. I don't know who, you know, if it's somebody's job specifically, or if it's <laughs> you're, you're relying on getting the information from the teams, from the conferences, whatever. I don't, I don't know all the details, but there seems to be something off, so far this year compared to years past. And it's just something, something we're all uh, having to deal with. I think. Right, right. Exactly. So uh, we're, we're waiting through it uh, just like everyone else is uh, this season. So, um, I mean, look, we're doing better than Clay Helton. I know that. So, uh, you know, obviously uh, Clay Helton let go from USC this week. Um, I, I don't, I don't know that I was shocked by the move. A lot of people said that they were kind of just waiting for something to happen and this loss to Stanford was it, but it kind of seemed like the program inside and the boosters are, were split on this. Seemed like the boosters liked Clay Helton, but um, it's uh, I'm sorry. Who is it? Darius Williams. Is that who it is taking over Uh, the, the new uh, interim head coach? It's um, uh, he's going to take over for the rest of the season and navigate the Trojans through the year. So uh, it should be interesting which will make for an interesting game this week too, right, Nick? Yeah, yeah. Dante Williams. Dante uh, Williams. Yes, sorry. Uh, it, it's it's you know we this is the second head coach that's been uh, let go already. Whether or not you know, however we want to describe uh, what happened at, at UConn, uh, it it was something that seemed years in the making. You know, Clay Helton's been on the hot seat for you know what three seasons now, parts of, of three seasons. So it's it's not uh, a shock that it happened. It was one the the game Saturday night against Stanford was just uh, perplexing in, in yeah. a lot of ways. I mean, Stanford looked so bad in Week One against Kansas State and uh, USC actually played pretty well against uh, San Jose State. Uh, you know, and, and what some people thought might be sort of a sneaky upset spot uh, based on how well San Jose State played, you know, in, in 2020. Um, but just, you know, Stanford to, to come in and just blow out USC like they did. And of course, 
the you know the the feedback from outside the program the fan base seemingly you know me on the outside uh, a large vocal part of the fan base has been fed up with Clay Helton for a while and to see them get blown out on their home field by a team that looks so bad in its uh, only previous game and then to see fans just filing out of the Coliseum, uh, I, I guess it just had reached a point where, you know, they, they had to finally had to do it. And um, it seems you mentioned, you know, a lot of a lot of folks like Clay Helton. And that seems to be, you know, part of it is everybody seems to think that he's a great guy, great to work with, super nice guy. Um, a lot of the, you know, tweets from former players or, or even some you know comments from current players and everything start with you know all respect to clay helton i love clay helton i thanks so much to clay helton for this and that uh but then you kind of you know the second part of the sentence is but you know they just didn't but, win it. right yeah. right right and so i'm sure you know it's it's uh, a tough situation all around um and some people think it's it's way past due uh, but yeah, I mean, it just seemed like the inconsistency on the field uh, is just too much to overcome. And, and now it's just what what will USC do? Well, where will they go from here? Uh, because this is a team that, you know, on paper, in our projections, uh, spent a large portion uh, of the offseason and, and even I think after week one, uh, regained that number one spot in our uh, Pac-12 power ranking so this is a team that could maybe should uh win the conference make a run at you know a playoff spot uh every couple of years and they just have fallen well short of of those sort of expectations under clay helton and and uh it it seemed you know it, it seemed like once there was no news on sunday maybe he had survived another week. Right, right. And then we found out Monday that, that they uh, made a change and, and announced it during a, a team meeting. Uh, so it, it came as a little bit of a surprise because it happened Monday as, as compared to, to Sunday. Uh, but overall in the grand scheme, you know, grand scheme of things, uh, Clay Helton was on, you know, number one or, or two or three on everybody's list coming into the year of, of the hottest seats in college football. So overall, it's not, not a shock, especially um, as poorly as they played Saturday night. How did we do in uh, week two as far as uh, record and all that stuff? So <laughs> week one, remember, was really great. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, week two, we, we took a, a small step back. The, the overall projections against the spread were, were okay. Uh, we, had a, we started great the first, you know, uh, half or basically through the what's the second window of games that 330 eastern uh spot we were we were sitting pretty again and then in prime time just got just got absolutely uh beaten down but finished 21 22 and one against the spread so 48.8 percent uh we're still you know doing doing pretty well for the year since we were up in the, the high high 50s in uh, week one, but we talked a little last week. We just mentioned it mostly in passing. I was concerned a bit about totals. Uh, we were on way too many overs. I knew that, um, and I was concerned that we were just going to get absolutely, 
killed on uh, on totals, and and it it probably was better than it could have been. We finished nineteen twenty four and one, uh, still really really rough. I mean, we we never want to be forty four percent on anything, um, but hopefully things have have uh, bounced back a little bit, and that might have just been some week two weirdness. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, a, a, uh, less good week in week two than we had a, a great week in week one. Uh, but we're still on the right side of 500 and, in, in both, um, our against the spread projections and our, uh, totals our over unders for the year. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly how to feel, uh, you know, in, in what direction we're going, looking at, at the early projections. But one thing that I did add last week um, that made me feel a little better about the results, I, I put in a, a started this year tracking, doing a better job of tracking closing line value. So after we do our projections on, uh, usually uh, we expect they'll be late Tuesday evening, late on the, on the East Coast. Um, and sort of compare that official projection and the line at that time, we always compare against the Vegas insider consensus at the time we publish uh, on Patreon on, on Tuesday night. And how do we, uh, you know, what happens from then until the game kicks off and, and the closing line. And so one thing that against the spread I noticed last week is we actually did have a, a pretty good, uh, we had 10, total points of, of closing line value. So I track every one, you know, plus one, minus two, plus three, whatever it is. Uh, and we came out ahead, you know, 10 points. Um, the average on that uh, I can, I could find. Um, but I, I felt like that was, you know, at least on the right side of things for a week that we took a, a bit of a step back. Um, I was, I was pleased that we were, at least on the right side of, of things in closing line value. And then our absolute error, which is something I just started tracking last week. I need to go back and do uh, week one, but comparing our projection, uh, whether it's, you know, Wyoming minus six is, is the line, but we had Wyoming minus 7.06 or whatever it was, that little extra comparing our actual projection to the final the, the actual result, the final score, which was, you know, Wyoming beat Northern Illinois by seven, as an example. Uh, so that one, of course, was really, really close. But then Oregon, who was an underdog of uh, 14 and a half when we picked, actually won by seven. So 22.1 points difference. So anyway, tracking all of that or absolute error uh, last week was 13.4, which the goal would be to be under 13 points. That seems to be, uh, there's a site called Prediction Tracker that tracks a lot of big, uh, uh, you know, projection systems and, and things like that. And the, the top four or five uh, models get under 13 and a half. We were in the top, I mean, 13.4 is, is basically would have been top 10 in 20, uh, 20 out of, I think, 60 or something model. So, so that was, I think, a fairly encouraging sign as well. Would still like to get that number down. Um, but to have an absolute error of, of 13.4 to have some closing line value, uh, even though the final results were less than spectacular, uh, I still think that 
that shows our process is, is still on the right track, if that makes sense. So uh, those are a couple of things that, that I'll be tracking that are available uh, in our uh, ATS database at, at the very end of the uh, FBS team profiles. If you scroll all the way, like 150 pages in, uh, it's sort of the, the last thing there, but uh, try to track all that stuff there and, and keep, keep an eye on what our process is looking like. It's not always about the final results, even though that is how we grade ourselves. Uh, but, you know, how are those things looking as far as uh, are, are our projections showing some closing line value or is the absolute error as low as we can get it, that sort of thing? Yeah, exactly. So uh, looking to have a better week in week three. But I mean, there was a bunch of QB injuries uh, this week, Nick. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, obviously Haynes King, I was watching that game. He went down. He's going to be out at least a month for the Aggies. And he was already, you know, uh, a little bit behind just because he's a first year starter and all that stuff. Uh, Phil Dracovic, uh is going to be out for a while. They just said indefinitely. Uh, Skylar Thompson for Kansas State is going to be out for the year. Um, obviously, my Longhorns made a change at quarterback, so there's been some fluctuation uh, with QB specifically in week two going into week three, right? Yeah, and, and the early season, I mean, we saw some some injuries in week one as well, so it's definitely unfortunate, and uh, I think the Dracovic injury is is the biggest, you know, most impactful probably. Uh, he is somebody that was a really highly rated recruit coming out of Notre Dame or when he signed with Notre Dame um, ends up at, at Boston college really helped uh, get year one under Jeff Halfley uh, started on the right, you know, uh, on, on the right track last season. Uh, somebody who's getting some NFL draft buzz uh, early on uh, or, or, you know, in the off season carrying into this year and Boston college is a team that, you know, had had pretty good expectations, pretty high expectations coming in. A lot of folks thought they could be a you know nine win team, and and that's still possible. But they're a team that just doesn't uh, have that sort of talent profile. Really, they're one of the lower um, ranked teams as far as uh, overall recruiting the last you know three or five years. Uh, and so, getting a quarterback who was a blue chip recruit. Uh, who has played, you know, despite transferring in, seemed to to play well enough to justify uh, that rating that he had coming out of high school to lose a guy like that and have to rely on an a, an experienced backup, but still a, a much lower rated, as far as the way we calculate things, a former walk-on uh, at quarterback uh, Dennis Grossel. Um, you know, maybe it won't be as, as big of a drop-off as our numbers sort of see it, uh, but still very, very impactful. And, and if he's not able to come back this year and, and we saw the photo of him with his uh, hand all bandaged up after after surgery in the hospital, you know, that's that's not a great sign. So yeah. uh, that's that's going to be that's going to be tough maybe for, for Boston College to overcome. They do have a, a manageable schedule, I think. So, uh, you know, they they still should, I, I think, be a a fairly dangerous team, uh, but losing Dracovic is, is big. And, and I think that the other two, um, you know, Skylar Thompson, that Kansas State offense looks different with Skylar Thompson in compared to when he isn't in there. And I know Will Howard is, is a talented guy and got a lot of experience as a starter last year, but Kansas State's going to miss him 
big time, I think. Uh, Texas A&M, it's, it's, you know, it, I think it, it sort of uh, we'll have to just sort of wait and see because though Haynes King has certainly flashed in an incredibly athletic and we've heard uh, how he finishes, you know, second in sprints at practice behind uh, Devin A-Chain. But, um, you know, we haven't seen him play a ton and, and Texas A&M started a little slow on offense against Kent State and definitely, you know, uh, didn't play great against Colorado. So will Zach Calzada be a drop-off? Will um, they, you know, somehow play better with him? I don't know. I mean, he's got the big arm, but it just doesn't seem to have as uh, maybe complete a package as Haynes King, at least that's what Jimbo Fisher thought, you know, in, in fall camp coming into the year. So uh, not sure the impact of that one in particular, uh, but I think the the other two are, are going to be tough to overcome for Kansas State and, and Boston College. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, unfortunate that that has already happened, but uh, so it goes. You know, it is, uh, of course, college football. So when you look ahead to week three, what is the line that uh, confused you the most? And this is a running series that we're going to do. Uh, first glance at the line, the one that you went, what? You know, so which one was that for week three? I was really surprised, not just that Boise State was favored over Oklahoma State, but when we posted our projection, uh, they were favored by four and a half. And that, that's come down a little bit. And, and yes, that game is in Boise. So, uh, of course, they're a great program, have won a ton, uh, will be a, a, a definite threat, I think, to knock off Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State has not looked great. Uh, this year kind of, you know, uh, failed to put away an FCS opponent in week one, failed to put away Tulsa last week. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that we can't forget that this Oklahoma State program seems to at times play down a little bit to lesser competition, but then play up a bit when they're an underdog, when, uh, you know, they, they've got teams that are maybe more talented or, or uh, in games where they're not, you know, expected to win. Um, so I, I guess I'm, a, I'm, I'm happy that we're actually on Oklahoma State there and think that they should win outright. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a, a tricky one. It, it, it did have me a little bit confused, but I know the, you know, the home field advantage is certainly something to consider. The, you know, uh, Oklahoma State right now ranks 87th in team performance, according to our calculations, 102nd on offense. That's that's an issue. They've got to get that figured out. Uh, so through two weeks, you know, I, I get it. Uh, but I think that they are the more talented team and probably have the better defense still, even though they, you know, they rank 64th in team performance defensively so far this year. Uh, but overall, you know, from a talent standpoint, I think they're a, a better defense. Uh, it's 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 going to be interesting. I, I, I get it a little bit if we're only looking at the last two weeks. But if we take everything else into, into context, uh, I'm, I'm still surprised that Boise State is is, you know, if not favored. Uh, I could understand if they were you know less than a field goal, uh, but to be four and a half was was a surprise to me. Uh, what about the line that you look at and you go, that one is way too good to be true? 
So this one, I I was looking through and, and trying to look for one this week, and maybe maybe it's the same answer. Maybe it's Boise State minus four. You know, thinking thinking Oklahoma State should win that one outright. Maybe that's too good to be true. Um, but Northwestern favored by three at Duke. I, you know, we've we've talked before that our numbers are not high on either Northwestern or Duke, but they are considerably higher on Northwestern. Uh, and, you know, we, we think that Northwestern has a talent edge of uh, closer to a touchdown. And in our, our prism, our stats only model, um, it's over a touchdown. The projected point spread officially in our, our team strength model is much, much closer. It's about three and a half. Um, so, you know, but but it is one where Northwestern is favored uh, or, or, you know, expected to cover that three in all three models. But it's, uh, you know, I, I've seen some, uh, some, some smart people who I uh, respect talk about that Duke, you know, should be favored to win this game outright. And I don't, I don't know that I necessarily agree. I, I do trust our, uh, our projections. And, and uh, I think just watching Northwestern a little bit um, and, you know, caught, I've, I've seen actually all, uh, all of Duke's first two games and they, they played pretty well offensively in, in both games. Uh, but I still just think Northwestern is, is the better team and, and think that they should, um, you know, should definitely be be favored uh, in this game and, and, and think that, you know, if I were to predict just my own opinion of what it'll, what it'll be, I, I think I see Northwestern winning by a touchdown. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a tricky one because Duke has been the better offense so far. Um, Northwestern, you know, has, has been slow to, to start. Um, I, I, I'm a little, maybe I should have flipped these. Maybe that one is the confusing one. <laughs> maybe the Boise State is, is the, uh, the too good to be true. I don't know, but, but both of these sort of kept just popping back, you know, as I was looking at these two questions, because I just feel like Northwestern is the better team pretty clearly. Um, but to be favored on the road is always a little bit tricky. You know, Northwestern is a team I don't necessarily trust. I don't necessarily trust as good of a coach as Pat Fitzgerald is. I don't always trust him as a favorite. Uh, but but uh, I don't know. I, I just I feel like maybe it's too good to be true. Uh, I feel like I'm more confident in this game than you are, Nick. I, th- I think uh, I think they're going to go in and roll Duke. Uh, Duke has looked terrible so far. And you well, mentioned it I mean, many times in your preseason shows that Duke is probably the worst P5 team in the country this year. Uh, and I, I know that Cutcliffe is a good coach and all that stuff. But, <clears throat> you know, talent uh, on the field is way more of it than coaching. Coaching is a big piece, but it's not the talent has to be there. The, the concern I have is, is that I think Duke is, has got a chance to actually be pretty good on offense. And they've looked, they've looked pretty good running the football, especially. Uh, I mean, they're 21st in offensive team performance, 21st in rushing team performance. Uh, Mateo Durant has looked great. Jordan Waters had an incredible uh, highlight reel, reel run against Charlotte. Uh, but they played Charlotte and they played uh, 
who is at North Carolina A&T. And both of those teams are, uh, you know, not nearly as, as <laughs> talented as Northwestern on defense. So I, so I think that kind of, uh, you know, counteracts it a, a bit, if that's the right word. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, you are more confident, I guess. And, and maybe I just, uh, I, I just, you know, you know me. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I lose confidence in, in these. I never feel great about the projections. Uh, uh, so maybe maybe this is just that case. But yeah, I, I think I think I agree um, that I should maybe maybe I should be more confident. I just think Northwestern's better. But hey, last week talked about that with Texas, right? And I felt that yeah. way. Talked about that way uh, with a few of the others that we talked about during the show. Uh, our projections actually did worse than overall in just the. Games but I think there's a difference. I think there's a difference in. Um, thinking someone is good and they're not versus knowing someone is bad. Like we've seen Duke play. They're not good. You know, they can run the ball, but that's like the one great thing that Northwestern does is stop the run. So, you know, I, I think that um, I think this is uh, um, a stomping, to be honest with you. So we'll see. I hope I, right. I, I'm right there with you. I, I, I love that line, but. Uh, let's dive into the games that we picked, and we'll start with Xavier's uh, two games here. And this one I despise. I have no confidence in, like we just talked about, uh, Nick. But uh, Michigan State at Miami. Miami is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 56-and-a-half. Um, what do you think about this game for week three? Well, this this one is uh, pretty pretty interesting matchup because it's a team that's looked great in Michigan state. Uh, ranked fifth in team performance on offense, top 10 overall, which is not what anybody expected uh, this year. They beat up Northwestern, ran the football incredibly well against Northwestern. Uh, but then, you know, a team that had very modest expectations coming into the season. I, I like Michigan State. I think they look much improved. Uh, I think Kenneth Walker III has been a great addition. Uh, as, you know, Coming out of the transfer portal, had a huge, huge game against Northwestern. Uh, four touchdowns, 200-plus yards. The offensive line looks a bit better. Um, you know, They are banged up. Their defensive line has is, is been dealing with some issues, uh, some injuries. Um and they are on the offensive line. I think they're, they're starting left tackle and their backup center, who's been in the mix to, to start at center, uh, got banged up last week. So, you know, health, a little bit of a concern, but Michigan State has looked uh, maybe through two weeks the most improved team in college football. Um, Miami, on the other hand, got absolutely uh, blown out by Alabama. Didn't look like they were. Uh, fit to be on the same field. And last week against Appalachian State, you know, we're, we're pretty fortunate to to get out of there with a win. So uh, Miami is a team that has all the talent in the world, you know, kind of like USC we were talking about just a little bit ago. Uh, but the performance on the field just hasn't been there. And, and they have had two very tough opponents. Uh, Alabama, of course, our number one team. Everybody else is number one team. Uh, and then App State is a team that that our numbers in particular might be a little bit higher on than others, but have 
played more to our expectations, uh, maybe than some outside expectations by uh, beating ECU pretty convincingly and, and then hanging with Miami, had a chance to win uh, there at the very end. But Miami ranks 107th in team performance, 104th offensively, uh, 89th defensively, and they too have had uh, a lot of injuries. Their running back core is very thin. It's Cameron Harris and then freshmen. Uh, and, you know, they, they lost Don Chaney, unfortunately, to an ACL. Jalen Knighton has been suspended, uh, is going to be suspended the first four games. So, you know, are they going to be able to rely on Harris? Derek King, of course, can can run a bit. Uh, but the offensive line is is continuing. I mean, that sounds like they've still got two guys or, or two spots that haven't been uh, completely nailed down. And also on, on the defensive line. Uh, and, and a little bit at, at, you know, the front seven as a whole, they've had some guys banged up. Zach McLeod, uh, had a, a low body injury that, that, uh, had to be dealt with last week. Not sure exactly what his situation is, uh, coming in to this game. Uh, but it, it's a situation where one team is, is playing with a lot of confidence. One team might have their, you know, confidence shaken quite a bit. Uh, but. Miami, you know, we expect is is the better team. They just haven't quite played like it so far. They do have a big, big talent edge uh, over two touchdowns in our, our projected uh, point spread as far as the talent edge goes. And actually, the stats only model has Miami as a two touchdown favorite. Um, so, in you know, taking into account the last three to five years, Miami has consistently been a, a much better team than Michigan State, but the last two weeks, they certainly haven't looked like that. So, so Michigan State has uh, closed the gap considerably in, you know, both the, the uh, on-the-field performance and in uh, the, the talent gap to have this as, you know, within a touchdown. So right now our projection is five and a half. Miami's still favored, but, but only by five and a half. So we do have... Uh, Michigan State to cover, uh, but it, that seems in large part driven by the first two weeks. And, and we don't, you know, we, we uh, do incorporate team performance a little bit more each week as the season goes on, but it's still not a very big part of, of our overall uh, calculation. It, you know, we, we try to, to ease it in over the first, uh, you know, six weeks or so. Um, so we're still looking at a lot of, you know, past data and, and information, but, uh, but Michigan state has, has closed the gap. So I don't personally have a, a great read on it. I think, you know, this is perhaps a game that Miami has to really be careful with because Michigan state is, is playing so much better, but, you know, two weeks ago, uh, our our projection probably would have had Miami favored by you know 17 something like that so it would not surprise me at all if Miami kind of fixes a couple of the, the problems that they've had and puts it together and and puts you know a, a convincing 14 to 17 point victory uh, but you know I, again just what my eyes have shown 
uh, me over the the first two weeks. Michigan State's pretty pretty dangerous, pretty improved team. So uh, we have them to to cover. I don't know that I I love that quite honestly, um, but this will be a you know I think very informative game for both sides to to figure out. Okay, is Michigan State really as improved as they have looked? Is Miami really as shaky as as they have looked? So I, I think we'll learn more uh, in this game, though I don't necessarily have a great read on it coming in. Personally, I hate that game. Uh, I, I don't want to mess with it at all. I don't have a lot of confidence, and I have no idea what Xavier just said. It may sound funny if he was super confident about it, but uh, I'm kind of with Nick here. Uh, this game just feels um, inconsistent. And wrong. It, it feels more like a bar setter than something you would want to actually, uh, you know, lay some hard-earned dollars on. But um, it's going to be a fun one for sure. This next one from Xavier is West Virginia at Virginia Tech. Another close one. Uh, West Virginia is a three-point favorite. The over-under is 50-and-a-half. Nick, what do you think of that one? So I've got kind of a similar thought on it. And our projection here surprised me a bit. Uh, I, I was not surprised. I know there were some folks who, when this line came out and saw West Virginia favored, uh, it was kind of the, the reaction similar to in week two when the lines came out and, and people thought, oh, wow, you know, Mississippi State's favored over NC State and then, you know, uh, bet it uh, real heavy early on and it flipped and NC State was favored uh, the, the rest of the week. This one, I saw some similar reactions folks I follow on Twitter or whatever, that, oh, wow, West Virginia's favored. And the line has not budged that I've seen. I mean, it's still still three is where it was opened. I, I, I don't track it throughout, you know, Sunday or Monday, so I might have missed some some bouncing around a little bit. But um, that is, uh, is a little surprising. And um, we do have West Virginia favored. We have them favored by roughly – Three, so very much in line with uh, the odds makers. So there's not a huge, um, uh, you know, edge here. Uh, but it is the way that the numbers sort of shake out. Actually, one of our uh, selections where all three models agree, and and that surprised me as well. Um, we have West Virginia. First, I, I would have expected Virginia Tech to have an outright talent edge, um, just based on. You know, I guess have my perception of Virginia Tech being a better recruiter than West Virginia, but we have West West Virginia is close to a four point talent edge. Uh, we also have West Virginia is having over a four point uh, projected point spread in the the projected scoring margin, the Prism model. So those were a little bit surprising to me. Um, West Virginia didn't look. Great in week one against Maryland. Uh, they looked much, much better last week against LIU. But as we've talked about before, LIU is a new FCS opponent and uh, and seems to be sort of a sacrificial lamb early this season. Uh, they beat them 66 to nothing and, and probably you know might not be the worst LIU loss this year. We'll see. Uh, but, you know, don't know that, that we learned a lot last week. Um, uh, you know, from West Virginia. And, and so they were able to, uh, you know, put up some good numbers there, but they still rank only 39th in team performance, 47th on offense, 37th on defense. And Virginia Tech has arguably so far the, the well, maybe maybe now Oregon having beat 
Ohio State, I guess, but uh, started off the season with a very, very impressive win over North Carolina. But the underlying numbers, and last week they, you know, were were played close in the first half against Middle Tennessee and, and then ended up opening up in the second half and, and eventually covered. But uh, they only ranked 56th in team performance, 66th on offense, 46th on defense. And, and they played two tougher opponents, arguably, you know, are, are definitely a, a tougher week one opponent and definitely a, a tougher week two opponent head to head than West Virginia. But they haven't quite performed despite being 2-0 and and West Virginia being 1-1, and uh, you know, much better or, or really any better uh, when we look at our, our team performance numbers. So it's a, it's a tricky game. It seems very evenly matched. Uh, these teams, you know, if, if home field uh, advantage wasn't a thing, we would have West Virginia favored by about half a point. So basically a, a pure toss-up. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't love that this is an all three agree because that puts a little, uh, higher, you know, highlights it a little more for us. Um, and I don't, I don't honestly know that we're on the right side. It does feel like this is a game that Virginia tech should be favored in despite it being a tough road environment, despite it being, uh, a long-term rivalry that's you know getting renewed after a, a bit of time uh, on the shelf. The players, maybe it's not as much a rivalry for, but the fan bases, it definitely is. Uh, so it's it's a really it's one I don't have a great read on, and I'm a little surprised at what our projections spit out, uh, even though they do all seem to line up, and we have West Virginia as you know a, a slight favorite little more than uh three points in in all three models so we have a, a projected final score of 28 24 west virginia coming out on top but i have i have very little confidence in that so uh not a not a great read but i i think similar to what you just said about michigan state and miami um that that this is a game that will be a bit of a measuring stick and, and hopefully we'll learn more about, you know, is Virginia Tech as good defensively as they looked against North Carolina? Will they be improved on offense like they looked in uh, week two? Or, you know, what what do we know about West Virginia knowing they played a, an improved Maryland team and lost and then maybe the worst FCS opponent uh, in the country last week and, and took care of business? And, and you know, I, I don't know I, I feel like I, I have a much you know worse read so far in West Virginia than I do Virginia Tech. But even though, you know, I, I don't know if I've figured out Virginia Tech either. So a lot of questions for me coming into this. Not a not a, a whole lot of clarity, uh, not a whole lot of confidence, but but we do see West Virginia uh winning and, and covering at home. As far as this game goes, I'm I'm more confident in Virginia Tech. I feel like than uh, than at least you are, Nick. So uh, I I like Virginia Tech in this game. Although, look, West Virginia does like to take a game here or there that no one really expected them to. Uh, let's go over to uh, the big one. There's one I picked: Alabama at Florida. Alabama is a 15 point favorite. 58 and a half is the over on this one. How do you see that one going, Nick? Uh, so this is also an, an all three agree uh, for us. And, you know, that's not 
very uncommon for us historically in games featuring Alabama. And then unfortunately, far more often than not, we are on the opposite side. And, and Alabama has has really, you know, at times uh, beat us down, just like every other opponent, I guess, uh, when it's all three agree. I think, I think the 2018-2019 or 2019-2020, they were an all three agree uh, going against Alabama something like 12 times, and they won 10 of them. So we don't have a great track record. However, the, the last time it happened in 2020, we did have Miami, as, as all three agree, plus what, 18 and a half or something as Alabama uh, in week one, and, and that was that was bad. But uh, in 2020, uh, we had all three agree against Notre Dame. They covered with a garbage time uh, touchdown in, in the college football playoff, and we had all three agree on Florida in the SEC championship game. And you know they were they were able to cover there as well. So uh, it's a similar situation this week. Alabama looked incredible against Miami uh, last week. You know, playing Mercer, they of course, uh, you know, we had the the Nick Saban get mad at uh, uh, you know early in the week and and uh, sort of try to try to find a way to to keep the motivation high. Um, they didn't you know beat Mercer by a hundred, which which maybe uh, some people would have expected, but they they did you know take care of business and, and got a big win, got some guys some experience, got another game under uh, the belt of, of Bryce Young as a starter, which is very important. Um, figuring out a little bit the pecking order at running back, finding who's going to be uh, sort of that second or third receiver. Um, uh, you know, Jojo Earl's a guy who is, is really coming on as, as maybe the best of the freshmen. It looked like in the spring, maybe Ajay Hall was going to be that guy. But, uh, you know, who, who's going to step up and, and be the next great Alabama receiver behind John Mechie and what looks like, you know, Jamison Williams has, has had some good spots and, and uh, Slade Bolden is pretty consistent. But who's going to be that next big play guy? Um, they're, they're starting to figure that stuff out a little. Uh, they've got an, an injury concern. Will Anderson took a knee to the helmet, arguably the best pass rusher in college football, certainly one of my favorites. Uh, not sure if he is going to be able to play. He was, I think, highly questionable the last I heard. We'll have to keep an ear out for for that uh, this week. And then both starting corners, Josh Job and Jalen Armour Davis, uh, did not play last week against Mercer and are questionable this week. So, um, you know, that, that is a, a little bit of a concern for Alabama. Uh, if, if they're going to be without maybe as many as three starters on defense, um, though I, my, my sort of gut tells me that, that they'll be out there. Um, that's something to consider because though Florida, uh, you know, is not the explosive passing offense maybe as, as they were in 2020, and Emory Jones has been a little bit shaky taking over at, at quarterback. There are some calls for Anthony Richardson to uh, see more action because basically he scores every time he touches the football, it seems, uh, and has been incredibly, incredibly impressive in, in a very small sample so far this year. Uh, but he got banged up, had a uh, hamstring uh, that he, he pulled, it looked like, on 
the very end of a what 80 something yard touchdown run last week. Uh, but Florida's is, you know, had two fairly easy wins uh, against FAU and USF, but arguably not, you know, di- didn't quite put both teams away as well as they should have. We had Florida expected to cover in both of those games. I think the lines were 24 and a half and 28, and they came up short. They, you know, just just didn't quite have maybe the uh, the killer instinct or, or whatever um, to just completely put those teams away in the fourth quarter once you know the game had been decided, but still ended up being a, a little bit less impressive overall, you know, final score maybe. Um, Florida, I think I saw something about Ventral Miller being doubtful for this game. I need to, to look back at, at that to, to figure that out. That's potentially a bigger loss for Florida than even Will Anderson because Alabama's got, you know, three 100 rated linebackers and, and have so many studs behind them anyway. Uh, Florida's a, a little, a little thinner at, at linebacker. Um, so that's, that's certainly something to watch also. Uh, but you know, our, our projections are pretty high on Florida. They're, they're fifth overall in our power rankings, third in the SEC, but fifth nationally. Um, they've played pretty well, 14th in team performance, 11th in offensive team performance, top 40 defensively. And then the, you know, they're, they're certainly not going to be the more talented team uh, on, on the field against Alabama, but they're a team that ranks 14th overall in roster strength, seventh uh, in defensive roster strength. They've got talent at every unit um, and, and, you know, should be able to to hang with Alabama on paper, and and you know, not very many teams have been able to do that on the field, obviously. And things could certainly get out of hand with Alabama if they prove to be the best team in college football, like many of us think that they are. Uh, but our our projections just sort of you know think that Florida can hang with Alabama, and, and they did it the last time. Uh, these two teams got together. Both teams are obviously very, very different, lost a ton of guys, uh, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. And right now, Alabama's replacements for those guys at at quarterback, at at receiver, uh, look a little bit better probably than than Florida's replacements. Uh, But I I think that Florida is, is a team that is maybe, you know, being overlooked a little bit. I, I think that they have plenty of room for improvement, but I think they are a team that is certainly capable of improving uh, to the point where, you know, they're going to be a threat in the SEC East. They're going to be a team that could win 10 games or more. It's just, you know, how well are they going to be able to match up early on against Alabama? I think it's a good spot on the schedule. Them, you know, having this game in the swamp is certainly going to be a factor. Uh, So I, I think that I'm glad we're on, Florida plus 15, um, but, you know, we've seen games go sideways against Alabama more often than not, so I, I don't have a ton of confidence, even though it is an all-three-agree. Our last two of our last three all-three-agrees against Alabama, we've been on the right side long-term. We're very much on the wrong side, so I, I don't I don't have a ton of confidence, like I said, uh, but I, I think there's enough to like around this game 
to think that Alabama, or excuse me, that, that Florida can keep it close. All right, let's hear what Xavier has to say about this one. So as far as Alabama and Florida goes, I mean, this is a game for me that really is going to determine how good Florida is going to be this season. I mean, we've seen Alabama on the world stage already as they trounced Miami into the ground in week one. Um, and we kind of pretty much know what Miami's made of this year. Outside of losing Chris Allen in week one, that's a big hit for them. Uh, this is a team that's going to get after the pass, uh, after the quarterback, and going to make time, you know, make, make it very hard for you to go after a secondary that's fairly young. Um, and fairly inexperienced um, outside of really Josh Job. So, I mean, when you really look at it, I don't see how Florida wins this ball game. I'll say that much. Um, from an offensive perspective, they have to go with Emory Jones. Um, AR-15, as he's more affectionately known by Florida fans, looks like he will be at least hobbled for this game. He won't be 100%. Um, and I think that, that really hurts them, as I think they had a two-quarterback element that really could surprise Alabama a little bit. You know, Emory Jones is the runner. Emory Jones is the better athlete um, as of right now, um, and also is the more senior-laden of the two of them. So he does have the aspect of being able to pass and knowing the offense like the back of his hand. Um, and on the other end, you have AR-15, who's this 6'4", 6'5", you know, quarterback who has amazing arm talent, has almost as good athleticism as Emory Jones, if not better. I've heard some rumblings that he might be one of the fastest players on the team. Um, and that would have been an aspect that I think would have really given Alabama some trouble to have two guys that can run that way. Um, and, you know, the, the reason why I think it would have troubled them so much is when you have pass rushers on the edge, they want to pass, they want to rush upfield. However, it's really hard to get a bunch of kids, hell, it's hard to get a bunch of adults to be able to run up, rush upfield, but not lose containment um, and not also give those same quarterbacks running lanes uh, for when things break down. I mean, heck, how many times in the NFL do we see, you know, guys come off the edge and leave running lanes for guys like Lamar Jackson um, and Russell Wilson and company in the NFL and, or in Kyler Murray, you know, who, who, you know, as well, who have really benefited from that inability of defensive ends and really defensive you know, coordinators to really come up with a scheme that can shut down a quarterback that's mobile um, and really hem that up. Um, the, re the only re way you really do it is, you know, through your secondary. And I don't think Florida secondary is ready for this game. And that's what I'll touch on next. You know, outside of Kyrie Elam, this is a secondary that's really, you know, having to grow as the season progresses. You know, uh, I've talked to a couple of Florida people um, inside. And they're really, you know, concerned about that second and third corner option. They really don't know after the first two games who that guy will be. Uh, they still don't think it's, it's a solidified spot um, yet. And after years of having, you know, the consistencies in which they did at the at the quarterback position i think that it's going to take you know with marco wilson and company it's going to take you know five six seven eight games for them to finally find their footing outside of maybe kyrie elam who's looked like one of the best corners in college football uh, already this year so I, I think that you know when you put all those things together for florida um i do think on the positive end though this is one of the best pass rushes florida's had in at least six years um, I think Brenton Cox and company, uh, this is probably the most athletic pass rush that they've had as well. They've had some good guys. You know, you remember your Zunigas uh, like two or three years ago. Um, but they weren't, they, you know, they weren't the same athletic specimens that I think Florida has on their front four this year. I think those guys were much more skilled and were able to use their, you know, their time at Florida to develop into decent pass rushers. Where I think these guys and Brenton Cox and company are much more athletic um, and can get after the QB a little bit better through sheer, sheer athleticism as well as with the development that, you know, Florida all, oftentimes does with its, with its front four and does it so well. Um, 
all that being said about Florida, I think this is Alabama's game to lose. You know, I think Bryce Young, this will be a great, you know, barometer for him. You know, this is his first major SEC matchup. You know, yes, he played Miami in Atlanta in week one. So he has a primetime matchup under his belt already. However, let's be honest with ourselves, you know, that's not much of a, that's more of a home game than it is an away game. You know, uh, the history between Miami and Alabama isn't this deep, deep history. And he has to go on the road, which is so important. Um, I don't mean to, you know, I don't mean to crap on you, uh, Scott, but we saw this past week uh, with Hudson Card having to go on the road at a big time, you know, and, and Arkansas is not even a massive SEC school, but having to go on the road to a hostile program um, into a hostile environment, excuse me, you know, with fans, which is something that I think has been a massive change in college football this year. Um, and he struggled. He really struggled to find his footing and find poise. Um, and Bryce Young's going to have to do that very early on. Those Florida fans are going to be rowdy. I mean, it's going to get ugly. You know, Florida, uh, you know, that the Ben Hill Griffin Stadium is loud. It's it's raucous. And they understand, you know, that a freshman's coming in. You know, these are football fans. Florida fans are football fans. And so they understand the magnitude and the influence that they can have on a ball game when a freshman comes into their stadium uh, for the first time. And, you know, they're going to try to rattle him. They're going to try to shake him. You know, we saw it last year with Spencer Rattler. As good as Spencer Rattler is and as talented as he is and the potential that that guy has, he went to Iowa State. And they rattled him early on in that game. And they made him, you know, throw a couple of untimely picks, you know, not getting the knee, uh, not getting the, the play in in time, you know, taking some, some bad penalties. It was just a rough game for him. And I think that's the only way Florida's able to win this game is if Bryce Young genuinely is rattled by the situation at hand. Um, and, and if they're able to, you know, catch, you know, map, uh, catch Bryce Young in a bad situation. Similarly to that of what Auburn did a couple years ago with Mac Jones in his first major SEC start on the road, you know, they kept the guy they got a guy, you know, slipping. They they caught him, you know, rattled and he made some errant and and, and, and ill-advised throws. Same thing can be said about Bryce Young in this game if he actually is rattled. Do I think he will be? No. I, I, and even if he is, I think that Alabama has a, a scheme ready for, you know, I think they have plan A, which is Bryce Young comes in, looks poised, looks ready to go, you know, comes out five of seven in his first drive and a touchdown. I also think they have a plan in place if he comes out two of seven in that first drive and they punt. And that'll be them focusing on B-Rob and Trey Sermons and company that I think will just have, a, you know, a, a really good day on the ground. I think that this Alabama team offensively is so balanced that I think they genuinely could turn to the ground game as a means of success in this game if Bryce Young isn't getting it done. Now, I do think that Bryce Young is going to have to make some big-time throws for them to win this ball game because I don't think Florida is going to just go away quietly like Miami did. But I do think that they can control this game on the ground um, and that they can, if they, you know, if they have to run the ball 40 times in this game to go ahead and get themselves a victory. What I'm really looking for from Alabama, it's progression of those young receivers. Um, obviously, outside of Bryce Young, that whole offense is overhauled. Um, outside of the, really their, you know, Bryce Young and their running backs. And so for me, I'm really looking to see the, how those young receivers do with a team in Florida that's going to play press man. I mean, it has the athletes to run with them. You know, what, what you saw in Miami is Miami plays a lot of man. Miami plays a ton of man. Uh, but what you saw is that Miami doesn't have the horses to run with Alabama. Um, in particular, there was a touchdown throw, I think the beginning of the third quarter, where it was, just a, it was just a race, and he beat him to the spot and then beat him to the end zone. Uh, and I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen against uh, Florida. 
those receivers are going to have to be a little bit more disciplined in their route running. You know, they can't go over. They have to come back to the ball. You know, they have to be on in sync with the quarterback because these Florida corners, as they have been their entire lives, are going to be very opportunistic and are going to look for mistakes like that between a young quarterback and his young receivers. Um, I genuinely think that this is an Alabama victory. Um, I think Alabama wins by two touchdowns. So I think it's going to be an impressive win because of going into Florida, winning by two scores, and the way in which they do it. Um, I do not think that this will be a complete route, though, as I think Florida has the talent to at least make it fun to watch. Uh, like I said, it might not be a close game after the you know going into the fourth quarter. They might be down by 14 at that point, but I think Florida will make it uh, at least for the for the for the first half a compelling game, um, and it might end up becoming a shootout. Um, and that all kind of depends on the pass rushing from Alabama. Um, as good as those corners have been, those corners haven't been challenged yet. They have not been challenged in the slightest yet. This will be the biggest challenge that they've had all year. Um, and if, you know, they can keep Emory Jones and, you know, AR-15 upright, there's a, there's a chance. There's a genuine chance that Florida could, you know, have, you know, come across your ticker, you know, upset, you know, possible, you know, at the at the bottom of the ticker with, you know, them up by a score going into halftime or them up by a score midway through the third quarter. Uh, I don't think that that'll happen. Uh, I think it'll be a long day for Florida's QBs, um, and that's why I ultimately have Alabama winning. I just that that pass rush from Alabama, even with losing Chris Allen, is just going to be so good. It's just so so good. Um, I, I just don't think, see how Florida's able to keep them at bay for four quarters. I just don't. Um, so I got Alabama in this one. I got Alabama by two scores. I just I kind of feel like this is all Bama. You know, it's it's hard to it's hard to deny Florida's. Um, you know it within the realm of possibility that they beat Bama, I, I would say that, that it's there. They have the talent, but they just don't seem to be put together well enough and rolling. I mean, Bama's in midseason form already. So I got Bama uh, pretty big in that one. Uh, the next game is Memphis uh, at Mississippi State. Mississippi State is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. 64 is the over here. Very curious to hear what you have to say about this one, Nick. Yeah, this, this one really, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you selected this one because Memphis is a team that I've been paying a fair amount of attention to early in the season. Uh, we talked in, in our preview pods and, and a couple of uh, times in, in the first couple of weeks. Last, last week specifically, I mentioned Memphis was a team we thought was in a wrong team favored situation against Arkansas State. That certainly proved not to be the case. That, that game ended up being a push at, at uh, Arkansas State plus five, but Memphis was in control pretty much the, the whole game. Uh, and, and Arkansas State was just able to, to come back and make it a little close there at the end. But Memphis has been a, a you know, I, I think an improved team, which is pretty surprising because, you know, had questions at the quarterback position, had questions at the running back position, offensive line, uh, secondary. I mean, you know, on, on paper and sort of the way that our projections work, we were much lower on Memphis this year compared to what we've seen on the field from them in years past. And, you know, I, I thought maybe we might be a little bit a, ahead of the curve there uh, and, and sort of seeing a, a Memphis drop off um, that, that maybe some other folks didn't, but so far they are, they are certainly proving us wrong, even with a true freshman at quarterback and Seth Hannigan, who has looked look great. I mean, last week over 400 passing yards uh, against Arkansas state, pretty weak, you know, defense at, at Arkansas State, but still for a true freshman to do that is, is uh, you know, quite impressive. Brandon Thomas has kind of, you know, come out of nowhere, played two snaps in 
2020 saw action in four games and they brought back, you know, the, the vast majority of their rushing production, their top four running backs from last season returned yet, you know, started hearing some whispers in fall camp uh, that Brandon Thomas was, was going to be the guy. And, and uh, sure enough, he has ascended to that role uh, as the number one running back. And, and he's performed incredibly well, been one of the best running backs in college football through the first two games. Calvin Austin, the third had a, a huge game uh, against Arkansas state last week. Sean Dykes is a, you know, listed as a tight end, but, uh, is, is definitely uh, kind of a hybrid guy. Has receiver skills, you know, not not that prototypical tight end size, but he's somebody that uh, you know they're able to match up, put in good situations, and, and he's been productive, carrying on from a, a really solid year last year. And then you know, defensively, they've got a lot of work to do. They rank 106th overall in defensive team performance, 105th uh, against the pass. But you know that offense has been so good early on and, and yeah, you know, Nichols, uh, an FCS opponent, not, not very talented compared, you know, comparatively Arkansas state struggles on defense. Uh, so it's, it's possible. Maybe we just haven't quite seen Memphis against a quality or at least, you know, talented, uh, defense like Mississippi state has, but so far as, as, as well as they've played on offense, uh, the first two weeks, you think, and and having this game at home, that Memphis is going to be uh, going to give Mississippi State some trouble. And Mississippi State survived just barely in week one against Louisiana Tech, came out, had a very impressive performance against NC State. You know, that, that line that everybody saw and thought, oh, well, this is totally off. Uh, in week two proved to be, hey, you know, Mississippi State maybe should have been favored uh, a bit more because they controlled that game from, from beginning to end, but Mississippi state is, is a team that, uh, you know, we expect to be an impressive productive offense. We expect that the, you know, Mike Leach in his second season there, we'll see a, a big improvement mm-hmm. from 2020. Uh, but so far it's, it's been a bit slow. I mean, they are 29th in passing team performance through two weeks, but they're 95th overall on offense Defensively, they continue to play pretty well. They're 24th in defensive team performance, top 40 in both passing and rushing uh, defensive team performance, but you know overall 65th in, in team performance. So Mississippi State is a, a much, much more talented team than Memphis has played so far, especially on defense. Uh, I know Arkansas State brought in a lot of transfers in, in the front seven specifically, but uh, still I think Mississippi State is you know still – by far a, a more talented defense. And finally, you know, a, a, a quality secondary that Memphis is going to have to face. I don't think we, you know, we should definitely not expect Seth Hennigan to throw for 400 yards, Calvin Austin to, you know, push 200 receiving yards, 300 uh, receiving yards this week. It, I, I definitely don't think uh, that's going to happen because, you know, Martin Emerson Jr., Emmanuel Forbes, two of the better corners in the SEC, which you know probably makes them two of the better corners in college football, uh, and then a pretty solid front seven as well. So I, I don't love the matchup for Memphis, though I've been so impressed with them early on. I, I get why uh, this 
this game now looks much more competitive than I thought it would have been, you know, two weeks ago or, or in the in the early preseason. Our projections are a little bit all over the place with Mississippi State having a talent edge of over 12 points, but Memphis having uh, the, the uh, projected scoring margin of three and a half. That's a, a wide gap there. And then our overall projection is very, very close uh, now with the with, what the odds makers have. We have Mississippi State favored, but by 2.9 points. Uh, so we do have Memphis covering the three and a half, have a, a predicted final score of 31-28 Mississippi State. That seems about right, not a huge edge. And, and with all three models sort of uh, giving us three widely different numbers, you know, I don't have a ton of confidence in this one way or the other, uh, but I'm I'm going to be watching because I, I Memphis is a team that I was pretty saw a pretty big edge I thought in, in the season win total under, um, but they look much better than our numbers expected them to and, and much better than I expected them to look uh, based on a couple of new faces at quarterback and running back. Uh, but yeah, I, I think similarly to you know a couple of the earlier games we talked about. This is a game that should be educational. We should hopefully learn about these two teams and see if Memphis is going to be a factor in the American or if they just uh, maybe feasted a little bit on a couple of weak defenses early on. But I think Mississippi State's the better team, but I think this will I think this will be a close one. All right, let's hear what Xavier has to say about this one. Memphis at Mississippi State, I think, is probably one of the more fun matchups we'll have all weekend. Um, on the Memphis side, you have an offense that looks like it hasn't missed a beat since, you know, all that talent that we talked about left with Brady White and company. I mean, this is a team that just put up 55 points against Arkansas State uh, with Seth Hennigan throwing for 417 yards and five touchdowns. On top of that, Brandon Thomas running for almost 200 yards, 191 and two tubs of his own. This Memphis offense has not missed a beat whatsoever. Um, for me, that's a very, very good sign if you're a Memphis fan. Obviously, the woes are on the defensive end, you know, giving up 50 points to an Arkansas State team, uh, who we really felt like we're going to be in, in more of a rebuild mode this year. Um, you know, we talked about them on the Sunbelt podcast, feeling like, you know, with a brand new coaching staff, um, you felt like at the very least, defensively, you know, they, they were going to struggle um, and offensively, they were, they were going to have to find their footing. Well, they found it very early on against Memphis. Um, and what I will say is that, you know, with this Memphis team, with them being so offensively gifted, you know, your only concern is, as if you're a Mississippi State fan, is that they come on, come in and hit the ground running. Uh, that would be my only real concern because defensively, they don't have the chops. They don't. They, 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 they don't have the ability to stop, you know, a, a cold. You know, they gave up 50 points. And they gave up, you know, touchdowns to both James Blackman and Lane Hatcher last week. And that was all through the air. You know, they almost threw for 600 yards combined through the air. And the rushing attack was non-existent. I think that's what you can hang your hat on if you're Memphis. You know, you did hold them to, you know, almost under 100 yards of rushing. And that's with them using, you know, six different rushers uh, on the day. So that's something you can hold your hat on if you're Memphis going into this game. However, you know, the you know, a big concern is, is that you're playing one of the better, you know, the better coaches as far as offense is concerned in the country. You know, Mike Leach, for all of his woes and all of his off-the-field problems and all of that stuff, offensively, he's a guru. He, he's able to get it done with little talent. He was able to show you that at Washington State. 
And I think he's learned a little bit of how to get it done at Mississippi State. You know, they were able to beat NC State this past week. Uh, Will Rogers looks comfortable in year two now that he's the guy. Um, and I think that, you know, he, he's moving into that role a little bit better. Um, unfortunately for them, they weren't able to run the ball against NC State, which is a little concerning. You know, they were only able to run for 29 yards. However, it doesn't look like they had any concerted effort to run the football. We all know Mike Leach's offense, uh, a, a three-yard, you know, pass or, or, or a two-yard screen is considered a running game uh, for Mike Leach. So, you know, Will Rogers, I think, feels comfortable in that. He threw 49 times this past week for 294 um, and two touchdowns. You know, and on the defensive end, they were able to do a good job against both the pass and the rush. Yes, Devin Leary threw for 303 yards, which is a little concerning, but he also threw for an interception. They also picked off Ricky Person Jr. once, um, and they held the running game to 50 yards of rushing. Um, and that's before I throw in the negatives uh, from NC State. If you throw in the negatives, it's more like, you know, 32 yards of rushing. Uh, so... I think, you know, going into this game is going to be an absolute shootout. I think it's going to be so fun. I think both offenses are going to be raring to go, ready to go. You know Mike Leach is going to want to throw the ball around the yard. You know Memphis is going to want to throw the ball around the yard. And what you do know is that neither team is going to want to run the football unless they have to. Uh, <laughs> so I like this game. Uh, I like that Scott picked this game because I think that it's one of those just interesting wing three matchups that I think can go unnoticed because it's against uh, it's two, you know, unranked teams. But this is a this is gonna be a fun matchup. This is gonna be a very fun matchup. Um, it's gonna be a game <clears throat> in which I think you learn a lot about Memphis as far as their uh, contention in the AAC. We've seen Cincinnati stumble a little bit out of the blocks here. Um, you know they looked pretty 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 bad last week before finally turning it on against Murray State. Um, but I think if Memphis is able to go in and win this game, and it is a home game for them, when I say that, then that's a, that goes a long way. Um, and their prospects as far as a contender in the AAC to beat an SEC team, even if it is Mississippi State. Um, but both teams are 2-0, and so I really think that's the case. Uh, for Mississippi State side, this is an opportunity for them to go 3-0 and before their first SEC matchup and what is about to be one hellacious next three weeks. You know, they've got LSU, uh, Texas A&M, and Alabama in their next three weeks. Uh, and so it's going to be a really, really, you know, this is an opportunity for them to get 3-0 and so that after those three weeks, when they're made possibly three and three, the bowl game is still a possibility. Um, it's a lot easier to do that, you know, to lose straight loss, three straight losses, and still have a uh, you know a neutral record than being two and four and not having to almost and then now having to go you know close to perfection to get you into a bowl game. Um, so I love this game. You know, Vegas insiders, <clears throat> I think will have a hard time you know picking this game because at the end of the day. You know, these, both these offenses are really good, but both these defenses have shown you that they don't want to really guard anybody. Uh, you know, I, you know, yes, Mississippi State looked much better against NC State this past week, but we all remember week one when they almost lost to Louisiana Tech, and for a lot of people, should have lost uh, to Louisiana Tech in that first week of in that first week of games. So, you know, this it's a three and a half. You know, at this point. You know, and, and, I, and I think that line is perfect. I think three and a half is perfect because I think it's so hard to judge a game between two teams that don't want to play defense and that don't have any, you know, outside of, like I said, their offensive prowess so far have a glaring advantage on either team. Um, I think if you're a Memphis fan going into this game, you should be very optimistic about your ability to pass the football. Like I said, even though NC State struggled on the ground and that was ultimately their demise, their quarterback showed through for 300 yards. Um, and if you're Memphis, 
And you're, if you're a Memphis fan going into this game, or excuse me, if you're a Mississippi State fan going into this game, I think what you hang your hat on is you hang your hat on the fact that this is a young Memphis team and that you try to confuse them. You try to get after them. You try to make them see, you know, you try to give them looks that they haven't seen this season and, and thus turning into turnovers, similarly to what you did against NC State, getting able to get two picks that turn into two scores that which ultimately would change the game. You know, 20, they won 24 to 10. The two scores that they got off of the two turnovers is why they won the ball game. Um... I would not bet this line in the slightest. Um, I hate that Scott picked this game. If he's asking me to bet it, I'm not betting it whatsoever. You know, <laughs> the only thing I might bet on this game, to be perfectly honest with you, is the over. It's at 64 right now, um, and I, you know, it opened at 58. I think people went back and looked at the last two games from these teams and went, eh, I think we underestimated their offenses. Uh, I like 50. I like 64. Uh, I like that to go over. I think this game might end 45. You know, 40. Two, to be perfectly honest with you, that's how little defense I think will actually be in this ball game. Um, I think it will honestly come down to some cut, some poor coaching decisions, slash, you know, the decisions from both quarterbacks who are both rather young. Yes, Will Rogers, you know, was in the offense last year for Mississippi State, but this is his first year really being the guy with the reins at, at, at Mississippi State. So I think there will be some turnovers in this game, um, and it's whoever, whatever team can capitalize the most off of said turnovers. Uh, so I am going to pick. With all of that being said. I'm going to pick Memphis. I'm, I'm going to pick Memphis. I think this is a, a, a team that gets the upset here at home. They've already they've outlawed cowbells in the Liberty Bell or in the Liberty Bowl for this game. I think that'll change the atmosphere a lot for Mississippi State fans uh, and for Mississippi State players. I mean, I don't know where if you've ever been a home team watching Mississippi State play, somebody somewhere has a cowbell. Hell, they might hand them out to the custodians before the game starts. Somebody's got a cowbell. So if nobody's able to sneak one in and, and they've lost all semblance of any kind of you know fan base outside of the, the, the cheering, I think Memphis can go ahead and win this game and get a, a quote-unquote upset victory. And depending on how they win it, we've really got to start adjusting what we think about Memphis going into the AAC this year as I really think that this is, could be a top three, top four team if they're able to get it done against Mississippi State um, you know, convincingly. All right, let's go on to the next game. The first one you picked, and this one uh, I honestly have no idea what to think of. It is Auburn uh, at Penn State. Penn State is a six-point home favorite. Uh, 53 is the over here. How do you see that one going, Nick? So this this one has me nervous a bit. And I mentioned that our team performance, you know, we've, we've started working it into uh, the projections little by little. But I wonder, you know, even if even if we're trying to be as cautious as possible uh, with the way we fold those new numbers in, how is it going to impact teams that are on the, you know, on the very edge of uh, the extremes? And Auburn has been as as extreme as it gets. They rank number one in overall team performance. And that's skewed a little bit because they played Akron and Alabama State. And, you know, we do take into account strength of schedule a little bit, but they have just absolutely, I mean, they put up 60 points in, in back-to-back weeks. They let Akron score 10, but that was in garbage time. So, you know, doesn't, doesn't really impact the uh, numbers that go into team performance all that much, the, the touchdown they had at the end. So I wonder, okay, is Auburn now overrated? They, they jumped up, they spent, basically all off season, right on the edge of the top 25. We talked in our SEC preview that I thought Auburn had a, a more likely uh, chance to finish under its win total than over its win total. But based on early 
results, and they've had a couple of guys, you know, pick up production points, take Bigsby, uh, you know, against weak, weak defenses, of course, but still looks like uh, one of the best running backs in college football. Bo Nix has been improved, but, you know, can we uh, can we trust that he's actually going to be improved against a quality opponent? You know, we're, we're going to see Bo Nix on the road in a arguably the toughest home field situation, you know, the biggest home field advantage that, that you might be able to find in college football in a wideout situation at Penn State. Uh, we do only count, you know, like every game, we do a, just a just a flat two and a half points for home field advantage, even in a night game in Happy Valley. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's a situation that on paper you think really leans toward Penn State. But Auburn is, has played so well this year, and they're already a very you know talented team. I mean, this this is a a, a roster that matches up very well with with Penn State, a, a top fifteen uh, type roster. They're thirteenth in roster strength overall, seventeenth uh, on offense, ninth on defense. They've played great so far on both sides of the football. Third in offensive uh, roster, or uh, excuse me, third in offensive team performance. First in rushing team performance. They're fourth in defensive team performance. Sixth in rushing uh, defensive team performance. Again, very very weak competition, but they've taken care of business and, and they've looked uh, they they've looked good so far. Penn State has has played a much tougher you know first two games. They went into Madison and beat Wisconsin in a defensive slugfest that was uh, pretty impressive uh, to, to beat a team that, that we thought, you know, was uh, maybe the favorite in, in the Big Ten West, could be a challenge to Ohio State in the Big Ten overall. Penn State goes on the road and, and beats them. Uh, their defensive team performance through two weeks after beating the defending MAC champ uh, Ball State Covering that game, you know, pretty convincingly, uh, they're they're 16th in team performance. So you you think, okay, are those numbers, are those two performances really 15 spots apart? Because Penn State played a much much better, uh, you know, pair of, of opponents. But you know, how much does it really matter since we're only folding it in? I think team performance overall counts for. I think now six percent of our overall calculation, so it's it's not a big deal, but it it has had an impact. So uh, in our power ratings, these are two top ten opponents. Now they were teams that two weeks ago were you know in the twenties. So they they certainly have uh, you know the, the way that they've played on the field has impacted our numbers, and they're pretty evenly matched. I think Penn State's a six point favorite. There were some early, you know, uh, anecdotally, some some responses I saw when this line was posted uh, of how in the world is Penn State only a six? I think it might have been seven when it opened. You know, only favored by this much. Um, I, I, like I said, was a little bit worried knowing that we project these two teams very closely that we were too high on Auburn because all three of our projection models are on Auburn. Uh, to cover, have Penn State favored actually in, in all three. I was a little surprised that Penn State had a talent edge of two and a half points, uh, but the stats model has Penn State uh, by about two and a half points, and our overall projection has Penn State, uh, again, taken into the home field advantage, 
uh, by close to four, but that's still comfortably under the six and in, in all three uh, on the road makes me makes me nervous. I think I think that the uh, you know crowd there at Beaver Stadium will be a factor, will be a big factor. I do you know I think maybe maybe we're going to hear it too much, but I do understand that Bonex has struggled a lot on the road in in tough environments. Uh, that will be a factor. I, I think it's something that he could you know, overcome eventually, but it, it is something to consider. Uh, so this one, this one has me a little bit nervous. However, I went and I looked back at some of the, you know, the, the, uh, summer, uh, point spreads that were put out and we were pretty confidently on Auburn plus seven and a half in this game. So it, it actually hasn't changed much since then and it's even come down a little bit from seven and a half to six so it 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 seems like actually you know the the way maybe the market is looking at it the way the odd makers are looking at it are kind of falling in line with our projections a little bit so that gave me a little more confidence in in saying okay you know uh, we 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 certainly uh don't get everything right we know that but knowing it's an all three agree and and you know, the, the spotlight is a little bit more on that, uh, at least internally, and the spotlight is on it because it's the big game of the week. Um, I, I feel better about it now going back and looking at that that line from the summer and knowing that we were going to be on Auburn anyway. Uh, that, that makes me feel like, okay, maybe we're not overrating Auburn, at least to an extreme degree, based on the, the performance of the first two weeks. So uh, long story short, I think these are two evenly matched teams. I think uh, the the talent is pretty even. I think you know on field so far has been pretty even, um, and I just think the home field advantage is is definitely a factor for Penn State, but not enough you know not a touchdown worth. So I, I think I'm happy that we're on Auburn. Um, absolutely, as always, could could you know game out a ton of different scenarios to where Auburn ends up losing this game by a touchdown or 10 or, or 20, who knows? Uh, but uh, I think as of right now, for the first time, maybe in, in our discussion today, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm pretty pleased to be on the side that we're on. And, and I'm, I actually don't hate it that it's an all three agree, even though it's going to be a, a really, really tough game for Auburn. And I don't expect them to win. I think they, can win this game. Uh, and I think I'm actually, like I said, glad, glad that we're on Auburn in this one. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I think I, I'm glad you're on Auburn too. Uh, I think I kind of side on the sec when it comes to matchups this close, but I don't know. Let's hear what Xavier has to say about it. Auburn at Penn state is going to be one of the weirder matchups of the week. Obviously, it's ranked versus ranked at this point. Um, fingers crossed, we all had at the beginning of the year that this would be a ranked versus ranked game and that Auburn wouldn't be some trash team. Uh, similarly to that, you know, what we expected out of Auburn-Penn State is similarly to what we were hoping for Washington-Michigan to be last week. Um, you know, we were hoping Washington was going to be this team that actually was a Pac-12 contender and came into that game against Michigan with some confidence. Quite the contrary. Um, but we have we are well, we are getting that here with Auburn versus Penn State. Auburn's comes in looking good last week after you know 
dominating Alabama State 62 to nothing. Uh, Penn State comes in with, you know, some early, early, you know, momentum. Looking looking really good as well um, starting the season off. And so I think this game, it's really Penn State's to lose, right? You got to think so. You know, this is a game that's at home for Penn State. You know, it's a big-time matchup against an SEC opponent. And, and I think that when you really look at it grand scheme, Penn State has looked more impressive up until this point. You know, they beat a Wisconsin team to start the year off, and probably which was one of the more boring first halves I've ever watched in my life. But they were able to grind it out and get it done uh, following a Sean Clifford and a Noah Kane touchdown. Um, you know, you look at, you know, you look at Auburn, and Auburn hasn't played anybody yet. You know, Auburn, yes, where they are 2-0 and and where they are ranked now, I think that's more due to the fact that teams in front of them have not won. Um, and you've seen more upsets in the, you know, in the early parts of the season. They've played Akron and Alabama State at this point. This is a team that we have no idea about, like zero. I, I don't want to hear any kind of vote of confidence from any Auburn fan based off of what they've seen playing Akron and Alabama State and winning those games with a combined 122 to 10. I, I, I'm good on that. That That's that's really hard for somebody to sit there and genuinely convince me of because of the fact that Auburn hasn't played anybody yet. And this is Auburn's first big matchup of the year. You know, they're going on the road. Penn State's going to be rocking. Um, I'm not sure if they've announced it as a whiteout game yet, but at Beaver Stadium, if anybody who has never seen what that looks like, tune into this game very early on. Um, the whiteouts at Beaver Stadium are some of the best, you know, the best in college football. It's amazing when they're able to do it. Uh, and, and so I think, yep, and it's going to be a whiteout. Yep, it's going to be a whiteout, uh, you know, and, and I think that that's going to be an amazing atmosphere for Penn State to be in, for Auburn on the other end. It's really going to be a tough matchup. Um, it's going to be a tough atmosphere to walk into. I talked about this, in, you know, over my last review, that fans this year are going to have more of an impact than I think they've had in any other year of college football because players are genuinely, there's players on both sides, of both teams, excuse me, that have yet to play in front of fans and have yet to understand what that atmosphere feels like. Beaver Stadium is going to be rocking. You know, Beaver, uh, Penn State, the last time they played an SEC team, I think was when they lost to Lynn Bowden and company in the bowl, uh, in Kentucky in a bowl game. You know, they're going to want to get some payback. This is, a you know, everybody wants to beat the SEC. You know, when you're Auburn and when you go on the road against, you know, a, a Power 5 team, you are carrying not only Auburn on your back, but you're carrying the weight of the SEC. And so, you know, anytime a Penn, you know, a Penn State, a Texas, you know, Hell, even, you know, last week, Pittsburgh, you know, beating Tennessee was a massive win, not only for Pittsburgh, but for the ACC over the SEC. And so that's what's going to be felt. You know, that, that kind of pressure is going to be felt from Auburn a little bit. You know, speaking of Auburn, and I'll stick there for a second, I'm really looking for Bo Nix to take that next step this year. Obviously, he's looked great in his first two games, but he hasn't played anybody yet. You know, I'm really looking for him to be able to show me the Bo Nix that I thought we were going to get for the most, you know, for the majority of his career at Auburn after watching him in Oregon two years ago, play Oregon, excuse me, two years ago. Maybe we get that Bo Nix on Saturday. Maybe we get the poise, the confidence, you know, that he had, the swagger that he played with. You know, I feel like over the last year or so, over the last year and a half, a lot of that's been taken away from him. Not only from a, a, a confidence sense with, you know, his coaching staff. And I think that's one of the reasons why Malzahn also had to leave was because I felt like they had really tightened the reins on Bo Nix and made that team very, very game manager-like, or made him, excuse me, very game manager-like. But for two, I think he lost a lot of that confidence. You know, I think he, under you know, 
not being able to throw the ball to really anybody last season really was a shot on his confidence. And I think he heard the rumblings going on, which, you know, if you've been around Auburn football over the last year, you know, the rumblings of whether this guy is actually good enough to be the starting quarterback. Is he only the starting quarterback because his dad played here? You know, the, the rumblings are getting are, are not no longer whispers. You know, they're, they're not full throat conversations, but they're there. I know he hears them. I know he sees the publications and the articles written about him on a weekly basis. And this is an opportunity for him, Bo Nix in particular, to really shut all that up. You know, he's got two years left in his Auburn career, you know, to really show, you know, and this is a guy, this is a kid who grew up wanting to go to Auburn. This is a kid who grew up in the Auburn, you know, system. He wants to go, you know, his, obviously, like I said, his dad played for the school. You know, he's Auburn blood through and through. He's War Eagle all the way. This is an opportunity for him for the next two years to cement himself as one of Auburn's, you know, as a good quarterback in Auburn history. You know, obviously, if he were to win a national championship, he'd be great, but we none of us see them doing that. You know, this is an opportunity, and this game in particular is a massive opportunity and a massive step in that direction to show everybody Auburn hasn't gone anywhere. Just because Malzahn is now at UCF doesn't mean we've lost the talent and the ability that we have. And it'll be a big, big, big win for them to be able to do so uh, and go into Penn State and win this game. With all that being said, I don't think it's going to happen. I think when you look at that Penn State team defensively is where they are really, really good. Um, you know, I think last year they suffered defensively from leaning on Micah Parsons a little bit too much. But when you have a guy like Micah Parsons sit out for a year, it allows a lot of guys around him, you know, to get better. You know, obviously the people who play in his position in particular, but it allows a lot of guys around him to all of a sudden have to step up just to get the job done because you don't have a supreme talent in front of you anymore. You know, when, you know, it's like a cornerback with a great safety, right? When you have it, when you're a corner and you, and you play with a, you know, an Ed Reed behind you, you can make mistakes sometimes and get away with it because a guy like Ed Reed will make up for it. All of a sudden Ed Reed leaves, you have to now play better because you can't make those same mistakes because that supreme talent isn't behind you helping you out. And when a guy like Micah Parsons going sideline to sideline, you know, missing tackles, not filling your gap correctly, can be made up sometimes because you had a, a freak of nature behind you that could literally run from sideline to sideline to make the plays up for you. Without him last year, you saw them struggle with that a little bit, uh, especially, you know, that you saw them struggle go east to west defensively. They got a year under their belt without him. Now, obviously, he's in the pros. So I think the defense has come around a lot. You saw that in the, in, in the Wisconsin game. This was a defense who I think really was able to be, you know, strong up front. You know, two sacks on Graham Merce in that game. Two picks on Graham Merce in that game. You know, and, and outside of an offense that was just really stagnant, and that was really the, the biggest problem for Penn State, was just a stagnant offense that couldn't finish drives. They dominated that game. They dominated that game. And I think that, you know, they're going to carry that confidence into this week. Like I said, it's a home game. They're ranked 10th now. Um, so, you know, obviously there's playoff implications there with them being ranked so high. You know, they beat an SEC team. They might jump into the top eight. You know, it could be very well possible, especially if they were to do it um, convincingly. Um, so for me, I'm going to go with Penn State here. I just think I have... Much, I have more places where I can hang my hat on when it comes to Penn State in this game. I like, you know, Sean Clifford's not great, but I don't expect Sean Clifford to put the ball in harm's way. The running game has gotten consistently better. Their defense has shown the ability to shut down, you know, young quarterbacks who maybe haven't found their footing yet. Graham Mertz, Bo Nix, you guys can meet each other. Um, you know, so I genuinely think Penn State's going to have a good time. Um, and like I said, man, Beaver Stadium is going to be rocking. And I think that there's something to be said about these stadiums this year. You know, I was at I was at North Carolina Georgia State this past weekend, and this was my first time going to a, a packed stadium, a sellout crowd, um, this year. You know, to shoot a game, and the atmosphere just felt different. 
you could just see the, you could just feel the difference in the stadium having fans there versus last year having you know 10% capacity 20% capacity or no capacity at all so I, you know I think that that's going to be a massive thing for them you know it'll be Bo Nick's first major game on the road since maybe what Georgia a couple of years ago because you know he got the Iron Bowl at home in his first year so maybe Georgia a couple of years ago maybe that Oregon neutral game Neutral side game, which wasn't really on the road, but it was a neutral side game. Um, you know, I, so I got Penn State here. I got Penn State. I believe in them more. I trust them more going into this game than I do an Auburn team that I think hasn't played anybody. And it's ranked only 22 because people in front of them just lost. People in front of them have just lost. And so when that being the case, you know, they have found themselves ranked 22nd. I don't think it's a true 22nd rank, but they could prove me wrong on Saturday. I don't think they will. And I got Penn State winning by seven. All right, last game up here, Nick, is Arizona State against BYU. Another one that you picked. Another one I'm glad you picked because uh, uh, BYU looked terrible week one. Then they go on the road and beat Utah week two. ASU uh, hasn't had a real tough matchup yet, uh, but they are three-and-a-half uh, point favorites. 51-and-a-half is the over. How do you see this one going? So BYU, uh, really both teams, are, are – uh, ones that 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 I've had my eye on because our preseason projections have been not weird but but a little a little different than some. Arizona State has been very high in our numbers. A lot of that is because they've had a core group of players uh, who are now in their second, third year as starters, some of them, uh, who have put together some production points, uh, have have been fairly talented anyway, but they are picking up you know, the way our, our, if this is your first time listening to us, we do individual player ratings for every player uh, on the roster that takes into account their raw talent projection coming out of high school with a 247 sports rating. And then we adjust that for experience and production. So when you get a team like uh, Arizona State that has been very, you know, that is very experienced now, Jaden Daniels in his third year as a starting quarterback, their defense has had, you know, multi, multi-year starters. Chase Lucas is in his fifth year as a starting corner at Arizona State. Uh, the, the linebackers, Merlin Robertson, Darian Butler have been starters for three or four years now. So it's, it's you know, understandable that some of those guys have uh, been able to raise their individual player ratings considerably over, you know, two or three years, uh, getting a lot of playing time. Arizona State, as a result, has a roster strength in the top 20 nationally. They are 13th in our overall uh, power ratings, which that actually they fell a, a few spots from where they were a couple of weeks ago when they were in the top 10, uh, just because their results early on against Southern Utah and UNLV have been fine. I mean, you know, easy wins, uh, but the opponents are, are, you know, not good, and they kind of – uh, been a little slow. I mean, they, they look like blowouts if, if you just, you know, went to bed early on the East Coast, wake up and look, and, oh, they beat them by, you know, 20 or 30 or, or what have you. Uh, but in both games, you know, Arizona State didn't quite play up to expectations uh, from the coaching staff and, and you know, from from uh, odds makers and, and projections either. So, um, you know, they've they've been good but not great, but they are – very talented, very experienced. 
and you know have a, a pretty big talent edge against BYU, who uh, is a, a very solid team, obviously, beat a Pac-12 opponent last week, huge rivalry game. Uh, in Provo, they were able to, to knock off Utah for the first time in, uh, what, 10 tries, something like that, and huge, huge win. BYU was, of course, an incredible team in 2020, lost, you know, so much production. They ranked 120th in returning production overall in our calculations coming into the year, but they've answered, they've answered some questions. Jaron Hall is not, you know, not Zach Wilson, but he looks like a very, very good starting quarterback. He's added a, a little bit of a quarterback run element to that offense that they just didn't have to use very much with, with Zach Wilson. Uh, but, you know, putting him together with Tyler Algier and, and Lapini Katoa, very solid running back duo. Gunnar Romney uh, was banged up in week one against Arizona, but was able to come back and play. Uh, Neil Pau, same thing, uh, but, you know, had, had a, a big performance. Both of them had some key catches last week. Uh, Puka Nakua and Samson Nakua uh, really stepped up last week and, and looked like they're going to be big impact transfers. Um, so it's, you know, offensively, BYU seems to be, even though the, the team performance numbers aren't quite there, and a lot of that is, is week one against Arizona when they were starting real slow, uh, they were 67th in, in offensive team performance through two weeks. But I think, I think they've actually, you know, watching the games, uh, looked a little better than those numbers would suggest. So I think BYU has a chance to be an even better offense uh, than they've shown so far. Defensively, you know, they, they – Played pretty two, you know, two pretty solid games uh, defensively, even though they only rank 76th in, in defensive team performance. So the numbers haven't, you know, loved what they've seen so far. But last week, one of the things uh, that that the um, commentary watched the game they were talking about was how much BYU changed up its defensive tendencies, where they really rank, you know, pretty low. Uh, on the FBS leaderboard or, or the you know FBS rankings as far as how much they blitz, how much pressure they, they put on uh, opponents and uh, you know in, in 2020 and previous years. But last week they totally changed that up, especially in early downs and were getting after Utah and, and sending blitzes. Uh, they were you know showing blitz sometimes and, and, and backing off, kind of giving confusing looks or at least trying to, to confuse Charlie Brewer, and it, it seemed to pay off. They were they were playing uh, pretty well defensively. So, you know, you, you take that into account and, and think they're going up against an offense that uh, should be very good but maybe hasn't quite lived up to expectations, has not played a very talented defense yet. Um, how is How is that? going to match up. We're, we're a little bit higher, have been a little bit higher, I think, on BYU in our you know preseason, early season ratings than most, but they've actually, despite a, a pretty you know decent 2-0 start, they've fallen a couple of spots in our power ratings. They're only 37th now. So, you know, this game being at home, being what should be another, you know, great environment, home field advantage for BYU. I mean, last against Utah was, was, of course, off the charts. Uh, bringing a, a ranked opponent 
Pac another Pac-12 opponent, you would expect could be a, a similar uh, situation. But we just think Arizona or our numbers, you know, project Arizona as a much more talented team. Uh, Talent edge, they have close to a two or excuse me, three touchdown. Uh, we have about 20 points difference in Talent edge. Uh, the stats only model, and this is perhaps skewed a little bit because last year's results for BYU were so good, but we do have BYU is about a three and a half point edge in the stats only model. So those are completely different. Uh, so the, the overall projection, you know, is, is going to be somewhat in the middle, pretty close to what the odds makers have three and a half, uh, as we're recording. Uh, but we have Arizona state is about a four and a half point favorite. So, you know, officially we're on Arizona state minus three and a half. The talent edge is way to, uh, Arizona state three and a half. Uh, and then the, uh, you know, the, the stats only model is right on BYU uh, three and a half. So it doesn't fall in the all three agree. I think I miss, miss uh, put it in as one when had the, had the BYU. Um, I got to change that. But, but uh, yeah, so, so two of the three, we see Arizona State. And I, I think I'd rather be on Arizona State even on the road. And that I, I felt like, uh, three or four different times this week. So that's something kind of an overall thing to watch is there are some teams favored on the road that our numbers like, and, and that concerns me because of course, you know, the home, home dogs, that's a thing. Uh, so, so something to watch there. I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll be a, a obviously a well-played uh, game. I think we'll see the best Arizona state performance to date we have a, a final score prediction of Arizona State 30, BYU uh, 24, and that seems seems about right. Uh, but you know, again, this is this is a, a, a BYU team that I think, at least last week especially, was a bit better than than what those underlying numbers show at this point. So it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a shock, uh, especially if Arizona State doesn't improve uh, compared to what we've seen the last couple of weeks tighten up some things, it, it wouldn't be a shock if BYU pulls off another upset. But I do think Arizona is, is a much more talented team, much more experienced team, and I, I think that will win out. So I think they'll be able to, to uh, you know, to pick up a, a pretty big win on the road here. All right, let's hear what Xavier has to say about this one. This is one of those competitive Pac-12 versus G5 matchups that I missed last season, man. This is Pac-12 after dark at its finest. I missed these games. Like, I missed this when it was like USC, BYU like two years ago when it was a really competitive game. I think USC barely pulled it out. Like, I missed these games when we went to that only conference scheduling last year. You know, and, and these for all the reasons that this game is going to give us. You have a BYU team that has earned its stripes early on in the year, beating an Arizona team, beating Utah last week. Um, and you have... On the opposite, in Arizona State team that, although they had the preseason, you know, acclaim of being a ranked team already, hasn't really proven anything. You know, they've played Southern Utah and company, you know, and UNLV, and really haven't shown much, uh, you know, or, or haven't had a competitive fixture on their list just yet. 
you know, and this this is a run for Arizona State, though. And we'll get into them first. This is a run for Arizona State that starts that really could solidify themselves as a top 25 team and even a possible Pac-12 contender, especially after we saw UST lose to Stanford last week. The next four weeks for them are very important. You know, they play BYU this week. Uh, they played Colorado, who looked really good defensively against uh, Texas A&M over the past week. You know, then they play UCLA. That could be a rank versus rank. That could be a top 15 matchup before uh, between both teams. And, and then lastly, depending on if Stanford can keep this momentum going, that could be another ranked game at the uh, in, in the middle of October for them uh, against Stanford. And that's the next. And that's all the next four weeks. So this is a really big fit. You know juncture for for Arizona State to really you know handle well because if they're able to do so this could be a team that after these four weeks uh, against BYU Colorado UCLA and Stanford could find themselves in the top 10 could find themselves maybe in the top 13 with a real opportunity to compete uh, for a Pac-12 championship you know coming into the year you know we talked about the Pac-12 pretty much being this wide open situation I think that has gone from being wide open to being really a one-horse team in Oregon in the north. However, in the south, it's wide open. I mean, it is wide open. You know, UCLA looked really good against LSU. Arizona State's still undefeated at this point. You know, uh, Utah, you know, excuse me, USC is still one of the more talented teams in the country. And after flying, firing Clay Helton, you feel like at some point they'll get it together, right? They have, they've got too much talent not to. And you've even got a team like Colorado, who I think a lot of people probably feel like Colorado should have won last week's game against AM, you know, which was a, a defensive slugfest. Um, and they just weren't able to pull it out. Back to Arizona State. This is a team, like I said, and now with all that being the case, this is a team in Arizona State that I think can see themselves atop the Pac-12 North and have an opportunity, or excuse me, the Pac-12 South, and have an opportunity to re represent the South in the Pac-12 championship game, which will be their per first Pac-12 championship appearance in, I don't know, how long. Um, but to get to them a little bit, I think this year you're seeing a, um, a concerted effort for Jaden Daniels to become the athlete he was in year one. Um, I watched the UNLV game um, in real time, and what you really saw is you saw an ability, or you saw a loosening of the reins a little bit, and you saw that, you know what, Jaden Daniels is an athlete. Yes, he's a quarterback, but he's an athlete. And I think last year with Jaden Daniels' biggest problem was that he wouldn't leave the pocket. He you saw you, he felt very reluctant to move and leave the pocket, kind of like Derrick King had done in his first year in Miami, where you know you were like, this guy is an athlete. Move, get you know, use the legs that God give, like go, like get out of the pocket. Make those, you know, make those throw out, throws outside the pocket. Bring those linebackers in. Force them to have somebody to stay in as a spy, which means it's one less rusher, one less pass cover. Like, make it to make the defensive coordinator sweat a bit when you leave the pocket. Jaden Daniels started doing that in the UNLV game, and I think it's going to be to his positive, not to his detriment. We oftentimes see this of athletic mobile quarterbacks that they try, you know, one year out of their college career. Some of them, it's two, but typically one year out of their college career, they will try to be a pure pocket passer. Like they'll just, they, they just won't. They just, they'll just say no to running. They'll say, you know what? I don't care about running. That's not going to help me get drafted. I'm going to be a guy who sits in the pocket, chill out and try to find receivers. And they, what they, in nine times out of 10, what they realize is what makes you great is the fact that you can do that, but that you also have the ability to run and run effectively. We saw the same thing with Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati. Once he started running again, Cincinnati's offense went from good to great. And I think the same thing can be said about Jaden Daniels this year. I mean, you saw it in the UNLV game. He threw for 175 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. But he ran for 122 yards, you know, on 13 carries. And that, in my opinion, is what can make Arizona State a possible contender in the in the Pac-12 is if Jaden Daniels decides, you know, 
passing's cool. I like passing touchdowns. I like big throws. But on third and three, instead of trying to hit that, you know, that slant across the middle or that drag route that's semi-covered, let me just run for it and try to get it with my legs. And I think that is what takes him from just being a good quarterback in Arizona State from a good offense to a possible great offense. Um, on the flip side, and when we talk about BYU, this is a team that defensively has come out firing. I mean, defensively, they've looked good, man. You know, they you know they held Arizona, excuse me, to 16 points, picking off Gunnar Cruz once. Um, you know, and, and BYU is one of those teams, you know, they had three, four sacks in that game against Arizona. Um, and BYU, like I was saying, is one of those teams that's well coached, really, really well coached. You know, and you just feel like they always are going to be able to compete. They may not always win these big games against these ranked uh, Pac-12 teams, which they typically play every year, but they, you, you, you do feel, you know, that they have the ability to at least stick around because of how well coached they are. Um, and, and, you know, case in point, last week, like I said, against about the defense, picked off Charlie Brewer once, you know, were able to sack him, you know, two times last week as well. So I think you really look at it that way. And I, I know, I know Arizona State's a team that, you know, they hasn't played anybody yet, but I just don't see where BYU was able to get it done. Offensively, they just look a little bit slow. Um, and if Arizona State's able to jump out to a, 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 an early lead, it's going to be really hard for BYU to have to rely on that passing game, which is something they haven't had to rely on. You know, they ran for almost 200. They ran for 200-plus yards against Utah. They were able to run for over 150 yards against Arizona and allow their quarterback in Jaron Hall to kind of just, you know, game manager it up. You know, 18 of, you know, against Utah, 18 of 30, 149 yards, three touchdowns. Not that big of a deal. You know, it's not, you know, keeping his, you know, keeping him under 40 passes a game is pretty much what they're going to try to do all year. And they're going to try to pound the football. Well, uh, you know, Alagier, you know, um, at their running back. So I think that if they can keep this game close, they have a really, really good opportunity of winning this ballgame because of the fact that they hang their hat on running the football and they're going to probably hang their hat on time of possession in this ball game and keeping the ball out of Arizona State's hands. On the flip side, if Arizona State can turn this into a shootout, Jaden Daniels starts running down up and down the field, starts finding open receivers on the run, you know, they get out to a quick 14-0, 17-0 lead, 17-3 type of lead, it's going to be a long night for BYU, who has to keep this game close for them to possibly pull off this upset. I think Arizona State wins this ball game. Um, and I think it's going to be rather close. Um, but I do still think Arizona State's able to win this ball game. Um, I think Jaden Daniels finally gives you that Jaden Daniels type game that we're all that we've all been waiting for since he did it against Oregon a couple of years ago, um, where he's able to just put it all together. You know, no interceptions, three touchdowns through the air, maybe one on the ground with his legs, and really just goes ahead and solidifies himself as a guy who I think could come out this year in the draft. Could depending on the kind of year he has. Okay, Nick, before we get out of here, let's hear about the all three agree and uh, maybe some wrong teams favored as well. This is, uh, I mean, all three agree seems to have a pretty big week here. Yeah, there, there are a lot on the list, and you know that always makes me nervous. <laughs> I, I, I'd rather be less exposed on those. But, uh, but you know, hopefully hopefully uh, the, the PRISM model, which spits out some weird stuff early in the year sometimes, seems to be tightening up a little bit. Happy about that. Uh, so I, I don't actually hate as many of these as I sometimes do. Uh, Thursday night, Ohio plus 20. Ohio's been bad. They lost to an FCS opponent, new head coach. So that's that's weird. Uh, but Louisiana hasn't, you know, exactly come out of the gates uh, firing on all cylinders either. 
lost convincingly to, to Texas, and then they had their own troubles with an FCS opponent last year or last week. So 20 just seems like too many points. Ohio might be, you know, they might have taken a big, big step back uh, from last year. We'll, we'll have to see, but I just feel like uh, I agree with the, the projections that, that 20 is too many points. Buffalo plus 13 and a half against Coastal Carolina. This is a this is a pretty interesting one. Buffalo lost a ton of production from last year, uh, some key players, but they've been good so far. Uh, they they you know didn't obviously win last week against Nebraska, uh, so the offense the offense didn't look good last last week. But I think the defense has actually uh, been been okay, been been pretty solid. Don't see a huge drop off defensively, even with the new coach. A lot of turnover. Um, Thirteen and a half seems like a lot. I know Coastal Carolina uh, still is is kind of you know America's team. Uh, they've looked good so far, but I I kind of think that this might be a uh, a sneaky chance for an upset. I, I know that that Coastal Carolina is the better team. But this game is is at Buffalo. They've got a couple of games under their belt now. New coach played a tough opponent in Nebraska last week. If they can fix a couple of things on offense, I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be dangerous. I think this uh, line should be single digits. All of our projections have it single digits, even though Coastal Carolina is favored in, in all three. But uh, Buffalo plus thirteen and a half. I kind of like that one. Uh, Kansas plus seventeen and a half. We were actually when I, I sat down to, to write out all the projections yesterday, we were on Baylor minus 15. And then this game moved two and a half points to, to 17 and a half. And it put it to the all three agree category on, on Kansas plus 17 and a half. So I don't, don't know exactly how I feel about that. I mean, it's definitely moved away from us uh, there, but Kansas, I, I do think is an improved team. Baylor looks great so far. They, they look a lot improved from a, a team that wasn't you know very good in Dave Aranda's first year last year. But Lance Leopold you know plays a, a fairly slow offense. I, I think maybe he can slow it down. Kansas can slow it down to, to keep it within the 17, kind of limit Baylor's possessions. Uh, and I don't know how much I trust Baylor's improvement on offense, but the running game looks great. Uh, so that that's you know kind of a tricky one, but we're on Kansas plus seventeen and a half. So we're on we're on Ball State plus seven at Wyoming. That's tricky. Wyoming is you know four thousand feet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, they play at, at altitude, and and so that's very difficult on on opponents on the road. Ball State has not been good this year. Uh, they do not look like the defending MAC champs who are returning you know twenty starters or whatever it is. Uh, but I, I think that they are a better team than they've showed the first two weeks. I, I don't love this one, but but I think we're on the right side on Ball State plus seven, Middle Tennessee plus thirteen. That that one is uh, I, I was a little bit of a surprise when it popped up as an all three agree plus thirteen against UTSA. We've been high on UTSA all off season and and you know had them uh, you and I both in the betting game picked them to, to be Illinois outright a couple of weeks ago. And that happened. They are looking like a, a team uh, that's the best maybe in, in conference USA, middle Tennessee looked good against Monmouth last week against Virginia tech, played them close in the first half before uh, the Hokies pulled away. I feel like 
maybe the market, the odds makers, what have you, are maybe getting a little bit ahead of themselves with UTSA. I think they're very good, but I don't know if they're, you know, almost two touchdowns better. Even even though Middleton say Middle Tennessee is not uh, not great, not a not a conference USA title contender. I don't think, but. You know they've they've improved talent wise at the quarterback position, running back position with some transfers, and they've played six pretty solid quarters of football so far this year. So I, I didn't love this when it first popped up, but I've I've kind of it's grown on me a little bit. Middle Tennessee plus thirteen at UTSA, Old Dominion plus twenty seven and a half uh, against Liberty. Our projections do not see Old Dominion as one of those. Akron, UConn type teams where they're, you know, the worst of the worst UMass in that, in that mix. Uh, we don't see that. We see a, a team that's in the mid one tens, certainly not a good team, uh, but we don't see it quite as being one of the very worst teams in college football. And it seems like the, the odds makers and, and, and the market does. So we, we differ here. Uh, Liberty has been very good uh, with, you know, Malik Willis, uh, last week, you know, not as explosive in the win against Troy, but they're certainly capable of putting up a big number here. We just feel like it's too many points. Uh, and, you know, we might be wrong. Maybe Old Dominion is one of those very worst teams, but right now our, our numbers aren't there. So we're on Old Dominion plus 27 and a half. Uh, South Carolina plus 32 against Georgia. Georgia, you know, has the, the quarterback injuries, the running back in, or uh, uh, receiver injuries, all that. Didn't matter last week against UAB. They looked incredible. But, you know, South Carolina, even though our number is very, very close to this 32, uh, we were actually on Georgia minus 31. But we, uh, right when we had to hit publish last night, the the line moved to uh, 32. And that put all three, you know, on, on the side of South Carolina, who has looked decent. I mean, looked great against an FCS opponent in week one, uh, beat. Yeah, more more audio. No, no, I'm just. Oh. <laughs> uh, it, it's the. Uh, uh, I have no confidence in uh, SC at all. I just. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get it. I get it. And and uh, I don't think they're good, <laughs> but <laughs> but 32 points just seems like a lot. I know the injuries for Georgia didn't uh, didn't matter last week, but South Carolina at least is a more talented team than UAB. They might not be a better team than UAB. Uh, but 32 points is a lot of points. And so, you know, I, I just feel like maybe we see Georgia come back down just a touch uh, in, in this game. We'll see. But 32 points is a lot. I'm fine being on this side of it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it could be, you know, 45 to 7. And, and you know, that that's absolutely feasible. Uh, but I think I'm glad we're on South Carolina plus 32. FIU let us down last week. Uh, we had them to, to beat. Texas State, they probably should have won it in regulation, lost it in overtime, uh, but 20 and a half against Texas Tech. And this number has come down a bit. Uh, so I, I feel good about that, though I don't have a ton of confidence in FIU. Texas Tech has not looked great. Definitely didn't look great last week. So I, I think I'm okay with that one. Southern Miss plus 10 against Troy. I know some smart people are on the other side of, of this one, uh, on the Troy side of, of minus 10. Uh, Southern Miss did not look good in week one, looked much improved against Grambling last week. Not a, not a tough opponent, uh, but 37 to nothing and, and, you know, got, got Will Hall a, a win under his belt and, and maybe 
maybe it was just a little bit of a blip in, in week one. I think, you know, our numbers have this as, as under uh, a touchdown. So as far as edges go, we see a pretty big edge on, on Southern Miss, though I understand uh, why some folks are, are not, you know, ready to, to jump on Southern Miss quite yet. But plus 10 there, we feel pretty good about Auburn plus six. We talked about North Texas, similar to FIU, let us down late last week against uh, SMU. But UAB, who took a, a big hit, kind of the opposite uh, of what we were talking about with Auburn, of team performance really you know, raising their, their numbers. UAB, because they lost so bad against Georgia last week, took a big hit there. Uh, so this one probably wouldn't have been in all three agree had they you know, only lost by 17, 20, something like that last week against Georgia. Uh, but we are on, we're on North Texas to, to cover the 12 here. Uh, and then the last one, it's a little weird, I'll be honest. We, we started early in the show talking about how good <laughs> Stanford looked last week. Vanderbilt lost to an FCS opponent by 20 two weeks ago. They did get a win on the road at, at uh, Colorado State this past week. But, uh, you know, not not a you know, don't feel don't feel great about Vanderbilt. They're 114th overall in our power ratings, last in the SEC roster strength, you know, approaching triple digits. Stanford is always uh, very frustrating (laughs) to to our numbers, to a lot of folks out there. Probably they play down at times when they're not supposed to. They play up at times uh, like they did last week. I have no idea what to think of Stanford this year. I think they're closer to week one than week two, but who knows? So we're on Vanderbilt plus 12. I have no idea. I have zero confidence in that, but I absolutely could see, you know, Stanford needing a last second field goal to beat Vanderbilt just because they're so frustrating and, and hard to read. So uh, those are all three agrees a lot this week. Uh, the wrong team favored. We talked about Oklahoma state. We're on plus four and a half, but, I think it's down to three and a half uh, last I saw. And then a weird one to end on, and I don't think I trust it. We have Kansas State favored over Nevada. We talked about Kansas State doesn't have Skylar Thompson. Uh, and then we really like Nevada. I like Nevada a lot. Yeah. G5 teams out there, especially on offense, um, or capable. They haven't quite played up to that level yet. Uh, but the defenses look you know, okay, uh, a little bit better maybe than, than we we thought. So Nevada's favored, and, and I actually I think I agree that they should be favored even on the road, but our numbers do take into account the injury uh, and, you know, still have Kansas State as a slight favorite, do have them as a um, the more talented team. So um, a little bit of a surprise there. Not sure I believe it, but uh, – our second wrong team favorite this week is is k-state all right that is going to wrap it up at the uh look ahead at week three uh we will be back for week four to uh talk about what happened of course in week three and hopefully fingers crossed xavier can uh, join us live on the show next week so no promises obviously but We'll see what we can do about that. Um, remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, 
Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.